Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to Bench Units. My name is Mark, and I am joined by the man who, in two games across this past weekend, managed to score a combined 63 less points than Damian Lillard got in 39 minutes. James McSorley, how's it going, man? That's what I do. Uh, Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, it's all good, thank you. We are recording on a Tuesday because we have a reckless disregard for the routine and whatever people might need our podcast for on a Tuesday morning when it normally drops. This one's going to be coming out with Wednesday morning. If you can deal with that, then no problem. If this has been a great inconvenience to you, then I don't really know what to suggest, but here's your episode. Yeah, I, I had a game yesterday, so I was like, can we can we not do a podcast the same day that I have to play? Which is a ridiculous thing to want, but <laughs> yeah. Considering I just completely sacked it off two weeks ago, uh, it's not it's not bad. But yeah, I definitely we definitely could have done it yesterday at one point. But I was like, eh, let's like let, let's get home and watch the games. Well, but based off of how many minutes you played against Malaga, we probably could have cracked half an episode <laughs> while the game was ongoing. I was going to say I probably could have gone like over half time into the second <laughs> half. Although it was great because, as I was saying just before we hit record, like I'm exhausted so i i was joking about like i was messing around talking to lucas and Gemma, being like hey you guys ready for 40 minutes on monday i'm not gonna play at all <laughs> and Gemma was like oh really did you actually ask <laughs> yeah <laughs> what i love the idea that they would just take that on the chin as if like none of those guys are going through the exact same schedule that you are i know exactly but yeah but it's harder for me i have to defend the best guy all the time I don't even. I just have to fly around all the time and yeah, right. throw, throw myself about. But Thank anyway, flying around. Should we talk about Mercia? Uh, oh, nice. I like it. Yeah, uh, we should. Yes. Cool. Okay, so we <laughs> cool. we are on. We're going to have two Malaga games and two Bilbao games to talk about when we do the Spain roundup. Um, because you guys obviously played each other on Monday, and you also had a game each on the Saturday. So that's true. This one was Mercia seventy-three, Malaga sixty-two. Uh, relatively close to say Malaga were without, or have been without a handful of their guys. They were without three players for this game with Abdi, Jama, Pete Kuzak, and Lewis Edwards all missing this one. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, relatively respectable score line. Um Mercia had to win the fourth quarter by seven and ended up winning the game by eleven points. And the story was Lee Fryer with thirty-one. Um this just struck me as Lee's best almost complete offensive game this season, I think. Um I don't know about you, but it really strikes me that he's turned that kind of left hand bank shot into his go to weapon in the half court offense, which is probably the only thing he was really lacking beforehand. And when I say left-hand bank shot, I mean bank shot from the left wing, not switching shooting hands to shoot a bank shot. That would be ridiculous. That would be a great, great calling card to have. But no, this was, I was talking to someone about this earlier, like he's kind of, the further he gets into this season, he's kind of figuring out how to like sort of bottle some of the absolute mad energy that he has. Like he's kind of controlling it a bit more. He's cutting the sort of, he's kind of, cutting some of the wild stuff out, which you need some of, because if you're going to be that much of like a an absolute sort of just rocket flying up and down the court, you have to 
you have to let a guy like that cook a little bit. Like you kind of have to let him do some mad stuff. But um, as you say, he's gotten to the point where he's making that shot from the left wing. I think, I don't think he made one from anywhere else um, outside the paint. For all, for all 31 of his points. <laughs> all 31 of his points with le- left side bank shots and sort of inside inside stuff. But um, yeah, and when you get a guy who can move like that and you have to commit to jumping him on the perimeter, you can really, really start to cause people problems. And yeah, yeah. 31. We made this comparison when they played each other semi-recently, but seeingly when teams commit to jumping him is very reminiscent of the Alexi Ramane just going at the, you know, in the 2v1 against the remaining defender. And it's all, instead of being a real 2v1, he comes off the pick so fast, it's like a one on zero and <laughs> a, a layup. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Um, so 31 for him, 15 for Lalo Prieto, 13 for Pablo Zazuela, 10 for Joaquin Robles, and then four off the bench for... Uh, Jose Sanchez and sorry that uh, wrong stat sheet that four off the bench for Biel Cabo. Um, yeah, and this was I actually thought Malaga put up a semi decent fight. Um, twenty from Kyle Marsh and twenty seven from Jaime Espasa. Three points from Christoph Cosarinha was the for me that was what took them out of it. Um, it felt like all their offense was very perimeter heavy. And Cazorinha is, is typically good for posting up mismatches, which, granted, there aren't a lot of against Mercia. That's probably where this trouble came into it. Um, but yeah, it felt like Malaga were very much at an inside game disadvantage against Lalo and Pablo. Yeah, this is also like the all time Cazorinha in this game is the all time leader in like catches behind the backboard for some reason. Like, I don't know why <laughs> did you notice this? There were like four times in this yeah, game. That, no, he was like on the baseline underneath the hoop. And I was like, oh, what can you do about this? That's just such a stupid, stupid observation, but it just popped into my head there. Yeah. But yeah, I think one of the things that I find interesting about this was like, I think when you, talk about a team that's going to press a team that they look at and go, yeah, all right, we'll have a bit of that. You kind of expect them to sort of blow it out, but it was like Mercia were giving Malaga a lot of trouble by pressing just by kind of taking them slightly out of their way. And like, I think Malaga would love to be a half court team. Like we are on record as being big Kyle Marsh fans, obviously. I don't think anyone wouldn't be, but um He's a great half-court guy, and I just like taking the game into sort of a different... We talk about this with Malaga all the time. I mean, with Mercy all the time. Taking the game to where you want it to be played um, turned out to be the sort of defining factor in this, and there were breakaways here or there, like um, Leo Pekka, who is the fastest man in the universe. Yeah. <laughs> Ended up with 10 points. He got a little layups off press breaking, but they were kind of willing to take that to kind of take everything else every, everything else away. Um Kyle and um Kyle Marsh and I mean Barsha did well to sort of have the good efficient games they did, but it's just not enough. Yeah. No, absolutely not. It's um yeah, when your outside shooters are carrying you, even a that gives you some level of being able to survive against the press because you can still get a decent, you know, long to look late in the clock maybe you feel 
semi all right with if it's Kyle shooting those, you know, you'd rather have him shooting them than most other guys. But yeah, I think the like the press and the defensive hustle was probably the biggest reason that Cazorino wasn't a factor because mismatch hunting becomes so much more difficult to do when you have to spend the first, you know, eight to ten seconds worrying about getting the ball up court to the point where somebody can even hit you in a mismatch spot. Yeah. Um, yeah, he just felt like he never really had an impact on the game. Like you say, I think you've joked about like the positioning behind the backboard and whatever, but I think that's a weird byproduct of the pressure is like, hey, let's just get as close to the basket as I can, and you do, but you're not in any like viable shooting position. Yeah, I think that's something as well. Like when you take the sort of top end of the shot clock, out of the equation, you only have so much time to let your offense develop. And we talk about like people scoring from outside, sort of leveraging that into creating for others inside. But that obviously takes a while. You need to get the ball to the shooters in the right spots. So the defense has to adjust and you can kind of um, work off that and then get inside. But if you're starting that 10 seconds later, instead of getting five steps into your offense, you might only get three steps into your offense, which might be, pick, roll, one pass away, okay, this has to go timing-wise, you don't get the benefit of okay, run, get, it, get it back to the pick and roll, strong side, milk it, and then we'll get either Cozzarina on a roll or we'll get a layup somewhere, you know, it's kind of yeah, taking away the sort of taking away the ability to sort of develop and leverage the fact that you've got scoring on the outside Yeah, and this is, I mean we, we've kind of alluded to Mercia's defensive game plan this is the worst possible game for Malaga to be missing their probably two quickest and most mobile guys. Uh, oh, obviously, yeah. obviously Abdi as well. Uh, he's not one of the t- one of the two, but um, yeah, like this could have looked a lot different because I think Mercia would have been far less keen to pick up full court defense against Lewis and Pete particularly. Um, yeah. But we'll obviously now know those guys are are out for you know whatever amount of time. Um, and Mercia took care of business, I guess. So that's all that, all they can do is beat the team put in front of them, and they did that. Yeah. So speaking of beating the team put in front of you by slightly more the number of points than you officially needed to, should we talk about your first game? Yes, talk about beating the team that was put in front of you and is now behind you um, in the league. Um yeah, Bilbao 76 by the lead, 52. So, yeah, they absolutely waxed us in their place at the start of the season. So we were sitting third and fourth, respectively, in the league. They beat us by 21 in their place. So um, we either needed to just beat them and then not drop any game that we weren't expected to um, for the rest of the season because they lost one to Malaga, actually, I think. Malaga, right? Yes. Yeah, so so we either need to do that, or if we could beat them by more than 21, we would have sort of a little bit of breathing room to sort of crap the bed at some point if we ended up doing it. But yeah, so we came out... I feel like we came out better than 1915 in the first quarter. I think they kind of clawed it back a little yeah, bit. I think we got out early. It was 1911 at one point, and then they made their first subs and they brought Maxi um, and Jonathan Soria in and they scored the last four points of the quarter which made it obviously cuts the deficit in half at that stage 
That's true. Yeah. I don't know why Maxi didn't start like he normally yeah, yeah. does. I wonder if he was like, I don't know, hurt unwell or whether it was a tactical thing. But um, yeah, man, we we played really well, kind of got whatever we wanted and were able to keep them pretty quiet on the other side of the floor. Um, kept Romo to three from 14, which makes a big difference because kind of things start and end there a lot of the time. Um, especially without um, Maxi Ruggieri on the floor, but being able to keep their two sort of perimeter qui- uh, perimeter scores quiet kind of got us going, and then we as a team generally tend to want to turn defense into offense and get out in transition, and that we did. Special yeah. shout out to Manu Lorenzo, who was 12 from 13. I think he was actually 12 from 14, he says, but the stats were wrong, which is lovely, you're, but we'll have it. You're splitting hairs at that point. This was Manu's best game of the season by a clear mile. And Unbelievable. He didn't really do anything different to what he usually does. He just seems to do it on every possession at all. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, you made the point about Romo. Um, obviously had a tough shooting game. You were primarily assigned to chasing him around. After your game of defending him, where do you stand on the theory that I heard recently that he's overrated? Who said that? Oh, well, well not. No, 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 no. I what? can't tell you on the episode, but I'll tell you after. Uh, yeah, tell me afterwards. Um, That guy can shoot the ball, man. Um, the biggest load of rubbish I've ever heard. <laughs> he's just, he's on a team that came out smoking to start the season and now I think of People have found them out a little bit and they're getting, you know, they're not jumping out on anybody anymore. So it's not surprising that he might have been like one of the top five players in the league for the first half of the season. And now people are like, well, he's not beating us. So I don't think that's him being overrated in any conceivable way. Yeah. Also, I don't like I I wouldn't say I've done a straw poll to know how highly people rate him. He top scored the Spanish league two years ago. Um, so he can that guy can score the ball and he's like adding stuff as well as the season goes on as well like even I've been playing against him for a handful of years and he's been adding stuff and getting better and he's like the number one guy on the fourth place team in the Spanish league and also former third place team yeah uh, former third place team (laughs) and plays for his national team which is one of the most successful national teams in the world like he's He's great. <laughs> but yeah, you're also not gonna catch me saying anything negative about anyone, but like he yeah, he, he's great. We just kept him quiet. There are very few players that you can't find a way to keep quiet. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's really like 10, 15 guys in the world that are just undeniable at that level. So there's no shame in like being a being off every so often, but like yeah. I'm like also what can I say? I'm never on. <laughs> so <laughs> uh yeah, I, I don't know. I think he's great. He just we managed to keep him quiet because I think we have a, we have a team full of good and competent defenders and we're we plan well. So yeah. yeah. I'm uh, pretty pleased with that as well, especially because like they the scores were pretty similar. It was fifty one seventy two on the way there and it was seventy six fifty two um this time so it was like i kind of i came away from that really disappointed and i was like i don't believe they're 20 points better than us but like they've beaten us by 20 so 
I kind of have to believe that until we play them again. And if they beat us, yeah, I think I think take it. But I I would in no way go so far as to say that them beating you how they did was like a fluke. But I think if you look at the games that had been played up to that point in the season, you guys had played Illunion and then Gran Canaria and found your footing a little bit. And there was video of you against good teams. And they'd played, I think, Albacete, who they were obviously destined to lose to, and then like Gioventut. So it wasn't a massive surprise that nobody knew what their like water level was at that point. Yeah. Um, I think there's enough of a body of evidence now and enough footage to game plan around, which there wasn't the first time you guys bumped into them. Yeah, maybe. Also, just like we didn't, well, they didn't either. I was going to say we didn't feel like we knew each other that well. Um, it felt like like watching our old game against them back, it kind of felt like we were like, hey, how's it going? Nice to meet you. All right, let's play this final <laughs> team. But also, like, they had a load of new guys too, so that's not really a thing. It is also interesting how you can lose to a team by 20-odd and be like, oh, that, that's weird. And then you beat them by 20-odd and you're like, ah, that's more like it when it's really just 1-1. One, one. So <laughs> what I'm saying is it would be fun to get them in the cup or something because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, why, like, why does it? It's definitely just like being biased in one way or the other. But like, uh, we'd be like, ah, yeah, no, us beating them by twenty-four. That's what should happen. And they're probably like, oh, that was an aberration. We beat them by twenty-one previously. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Um, should we jump ahead and we'll talk about briefly about your guys' game against Malaga, seeing as we've spoken about both these teams already? Yes. That, otherwise, we're just coming back round to it and discussing the same people over and over again. Oh, so, boy, you're good at this. So this one took place yesterday and was Bilbao 86, Malaga 68. I think between this and Malaga's Mercia game, they're not really struggling to score points um, with, with all their guys missing. Giving up 86 to you guys is something of a red flag, I would say. Uh yeah, well, they were missing five players um, to come to us on a Monday after playing Mercia, which is tough. Um, we obviously also had two games in three days, but we got to do them at home, so that's not as much of an ask. So tough tough for those guys to have to come to us there, but yeah. Um, we got off to an absolute flyer. We went for Big and Lucas. It was 29-13 in the second half. It was 46-23 at halftime. It was kind of done. It was pretty dead from there. And we played. You know, they, they played you to a draw over the final three quarters. <laughs> oh, maybe you, you, guys, you guys went by two, sorry, over the final three quarters. But yeah, you stomped them in the opening minutes, and that was kind of it. Yeah. Uh, and then you, your biggest story in your game was David Maurice coming back to his form of I say yesteryear, that literally means last year. Um, David Maurice with 25 points off the bench in 21 minutes. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, yeah, and there was, we got another good game from Kyle and Jaime Esparza, and they got 10 from Cosarina and 8 from Leo Pecker, but it's just not enough, man. When they're, they're getting 50 from the top two guys and then 18 from the rest of the roster is. Probably not going to cut it against a team like Bilbao and multiple lineups that they can roll out, especially with 25 points coming off the bench. Yeah. No, 20, they're just, they're 27 just, points if you count your two. Yes. Um, they're just 
thin off the grind, man. Like a thin on the grind. Like they're just they're missing guys for a lot of different reasons, and it's a lot to ask for them to come there on a Monday after playing on a Saturday, missing five people. And yeah, we got the job done, which was nice. And yeah, uh, Adi Orgbemi played and coached at one point for about fifteen minutes, apparently according to these stats. And great to see Adi back on the floor because Adi's the best. But needs most. Yeah. Um, no, that's it. Like they've actually just had such terrible luck. But yeah, man. Um, not a whole yeah. lot to say about that one. It was done pretty early. But yeah, I think we've obviously spoken to Abdi um, last week, which will be coming out in about a week and a half's time. Um, it's kind of it's tough to watch Malaga at this point without the feeling that this season is something of a write-off at this stage just due to bad luck and like early inconsistency. They gave themselves a lot of ground to make up to then have the injuries pile on as well as unfortunate, but it feels like all they can really do is hope to roll mostly the same team plus whatever additions they can get into next year and, and see what they've really got. Yeah, for sure. All right, should we move on? Let's do it. All right, Malaga have a big one next week against Leganes. Leganes... Okay. Who played Alunion this week and it was 45 78. That that was almost a very natural setup, apart from you brought up a seemingly irrelevant fact to bridge the gap before yeah. playing. Because I if I didn't if I didn't want to like make sure you were ready to move on, I could have just been like, oh, it'll be interesting to see how they do next week against Leganes, who played Alunion. But I wanted to make sure I wasn't just cutting you off. <laughs> um yeah, this was this was fairly well, run of the mill for Alunion. Um obviously um Legana is still missing um Kano. Yeah, I don't know what the situation is there. This is I think this is three or four games he's missed now. Yeah, um, no idea what's going on. Um my fun definitely not the real thing idea was that he scored forty seven and lost and was like, right. <laughs> I'm out of here. I I hope it's nothing any more serious than that, and it's definitely not actually that. So, um, but that's hilarious because I love. I've always said like if I score forty seven and lose, I didn't like we didn't lose. You guys did, <laughs> but no. Um, I, I think he just does. He doesn't want to play any more games because he doesn't want to bring his scoring average down. Like can't, can't score less than forty seven points if you don't play. That's hilarious, but yeah. Potentially, potentially that's the case. But all right, top scores in this game. Hasso had 20, Terry had 19. Happy birthday, Terry. It's Terry Bywater's 40th birthday today, everyone. Happy birthday. That'll be yesterday by the time people listen to this. That'll be yesterday by the time it's out. And that's great of you to assume that people listen to this. Like, it's like urgent. Um, (laughs) It's certainly not the opposite because it's useless one week in advance. But are we limiting our listenership by doing a weekly thing? Are we limiting it by medium quality content yeah yeah i would say both of those in some capacity or other yeah so yeah this was i mean this was 20 23 15 for lunion in the first quarter and then Leganes didn't get above double digit scoring in the middle two quarters with eight and nine points mm-hmm. um yeah i mean we've seen lunion i think the first time they've played each other this season was when Illunion let them hang around for half and then I th- Illunion had one of their like 33 to 6 quarters or whatever it was um, 
they didn't really need anything that drastic in this one. They just chipped away and won each quarter in relatively convincing fashion. And yeah, end up with a 33-point difference. Um, yeah, 16 for Christian Gomez and 12 for Alexi Ruiz, but not a whole lot from anybody else. And yeah, it's... I don't know how much closer Cano would have made this one, but you certainly want his ball handling and the dynamism he brings rather than having all your bigs tasked with handling the ball and playing on the perimeter against such a big team. Exactly. Like, once again, wouldn't have... Well, no, if you had 47 under 45, like 92 gets it done, but uh, he probably would have taken a couple of shots away from some people, but... No, they they don't get they don't get anywhere near them anyway. But would have made this slightly more interesting to watch. Should we shift on? Wasn't yes. Talking about not that interesting to watch in the end. Albacete eighty nine, Madiba fifty one. Yeah. This was the, the 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 Phil and Charlie revenge game, as I was billing and, it in my head to no one. And Ben. Oh yeah, and the Ben revenge game. Sorry, I forgot Ben um, left early. Yeah, he did. Um, got out of there, Ben. Ben knew. Um, <laughs> yeah, this was just. I mean, these two teams didn't get to play each other um, in the first match for the season, right? Oh, that yeah. Was, uh, nearly packed it in for the year, and that was when Albacete um, had to travel all the way to Lunion and do twenty minutes of sorry, to Madiba and do twenty minutes of warming up to prove that they were there and ready to play to have the game called off. And yeah, I don't think anyone would blame Albacete for being out to make a statement on on this one, which they very much did. And yeah, like the stats look not horrendous for Madiba. If you look at, they got four guys into double figures with 15 for Joima, 12 for John, and there's 13 for Salvador um, and 11 for Jose Leap. And yeah, Amiab just... They got five guys into double figures, led by Filipski with 26 on 13 of 15 shooting. And, <laughs> yeah. God's yeah. sake. I mean, this wasn't really going to go any way other than this because all Madiba want to do is fly up and down and hope they win the roughhousing battle. And Amiaba put up to match that and then also outskill them as well. And it felt like that happened on all fronts. Like, there's not. I would think there's a hundred possessions you could pick out of this game that demonstrated the chasm in capability between these two teams. I don't know if there were a hundred possessions in this game, but you understand what I mean? There were, yes. Um, also, getting to 90 and not making a three is wild. Um, <laughs> yeah, not you know, getting that. to 90 on like zero from two threes and three from five three throws, like just getting all the way to 90 basically on layups and buying shots. Yeah, is yeah. wild. It shows the lack of resistance being put up. But I say lack of resistance, like Medivh aren't a terrible team. Uh, just Amiab are a very, very good one. Um, also, if I were Amiab, I would absolutely have like hid in the closet <laughs> that they store their chairs in when Medivh got there, just to pretend you weren't going to show up. Yeah, well, the most disrespectful thing they could have done would have been make Medivh warm up for 20 minutes and then just roll out and beat them anyway. Yeah, that's hilarious. Like, make them think that they have to go there and warm up for the 20 nil, but just be like doing Theraband warm ups in the storeroom somewhere and then just rock up like with with 30 seconds to spare and be like, all right, he's ready to go. Yeah. That would have been 
Only other point for this game, Ben with 14 off the bench. I think Ben might lead at least Spain in double-figure scoring games off the bench. Yeah, that's um, interesting. I wonder who's top scorer. My other guess would be Jordi Ruiz. Ah, uh, yes. The obvious one, but also Thuring and have like so many games where he doesn't even really need to put points up. Yeah, but um, I wonder. I, we'd need to like find a bar for starts as well because maybe like a Chema or a yeah. David, depending on. But yeah, because if it's per game. <laughs> yeah, fair um, yeah, that was kind of all there was to this one. This was just a two different classes of team going backs and forwards. Yeah, and also Phil with the cool highlight that's on the Spanish Federation where he just herky jerks his way to the basket and yeah does whatever yeah. that celebration was afterwards. I have no idea what's going on. But I was I was trying to think of what the what the able bodied equivalent was to like just getting there through like sheer hip jerking capability. It's Eurostep, isn't it? Like that's a Eurostepy type thing. Yeah, but it was like a Euro- it was like he was able to chain like three Euro steps together, which yeah. I can't do in the able body game because that would be a travel. Yeah. It's so just so funny to be like, hey, you're going to go try and stop this seal from Charlie down the baseline because you think I'm going to go there. So I'm just going to go in a straight line to the basket and score a layup. <laughs> like, this is, I can't remember if I've ever spoken about this on the podcast. Um, before I went to Italy, I think I spoke to spoke to Lee Manning and he was like you have to be prepared Italian bigs will follow you at all times even if there is absolutely no space they'll like be like I follow curls that's what I do and um, I think I'd been there like two weeks and we were running our offense and it was like big gets a pick back trails low like fakes up for the pick and drives baseline and the big should just like crash through the elbow and shoot like a short post up yeah like follow the curl baseline depending on what the defender does so i took my defender like all the way to the baseline to be like cosarino position of behind the backboard (laughs) i like turned around to look to see where my big had gone and he was like physically sat behind me like i was a screen and i was like what are you doing man he was like no the play is for me to follow you i was like well yes it is but there's also like eight feet of unoccupied space you could have just rolled through for a layup and he was like oh yeah when you put it like that, I was like, my Italian's not even good, and I'm explaining this to you, man. Come on. But that okay. was that I was very much like brought to mind of that when I watched that Phil and Charlie highlight. <laughs> it was just like, ah, uh, space is great when there's like two intelligent players put together. Yes. Right. Moving on. We're gonna oh, start right. indulging. Yeah. So uh the battle of the Bacon says. Yes, I was going to say the Galician Derby. (laughs) Yeah, that was better. Um, Yeah, Abaconsa, Basketball Ferrol, Ibaconsa, Amphi, Vigo, 63-80. The story here is Agustin Alejos with 35 on 66% shooting, doing his Spanish Dirk Passavan routine. Yeah. they then got 18 from Julio Villas and 14 from Yesen Betancourt. And yeah, this was not uncompetitive, but if you were to say these are two pretty even teams and we'll shove Augustine Alejos on one of them, that pushes that team over the edge, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, best player by far on two all right teams 
shows up, scores 35 on 66% shooting, tips game. <laughs> um, Who would have thought it? Yeah. Um, although, like, can he shoot stationary threes from behind his head and go three from four? Probably also, yes, but but doesn't do it regularly and therefore is no Lorenzo Embo. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Not, not a whole lot on this one. This was just... Like Vigo have obviously not separated themselves standing wise a massive amount from Ferrol and the bottom couple of teams, but you watch the the game here and you realize there's kind of two distinct tiers going on. Even oh, yeah. if it doesn't really affect what goes on above it in the standings. But twenty-three for Lorenzo Mbo, twenty for Carol Jultz, and yeah, single digits in a couple other places. But this was just the Agostino Lejos show. And if anyone wants a particular hey this is how you just post up and score highlight reel then this game is probably as good as any yeah very little to say about that um should we move on speaking of very little to say Gran Canaria 57 Joventut 31 I can't believe this is so low scoring personally but this is the Gran Canaria revenge game if you remember oh yes (laughs) wow they weren't messing I around. Forgot that happened. That was ridiculous. No, no three AM messages about this one. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, but yeah, this was. I don't know how much you would argue that result played on the mind of Gran Canaria here, because I think Gran Canaria was certainly a lot better than Juventus at that point in the season, and it was a very strange result. And if Gran Canaria weren't notably better than them, then. They've certainly progressed throughout the year to the point where you would expect this to be minimum a 20-something point difference. Um, Obviously, Gran Canaria without Richard Norche, as they have been for a while, so I guess you could paint that weird loss all as his fault if you really felt inclined to do so. Ah, yes, because he hasn't been through enough. (laughs) (laughs) For God's sake. Yeah, this this was real weird. Like, this was very, I don't know, I think if that if that loss was playing on your mind, you'd want to come out and absolutely smash them, but you, they just kind of shot the ball pretty poorly. Um, yeah. But it didn't matter. Like, you can be bad against the worst team in the league is kind of what's going 43, on here. 43% shooting on 64 shots for Gran Canaria. Doesn't seem great until you realize it was countered by 22% shooting on 48 shots by Joventut. Yeah, and a guy that shot 7%, which <laughs> that's some high-volume stuff. Um, yeah. what, why is it that 7%, like, this is a one from 14 shooting to get 7%, why does that seem so much worse than the person who was 0 from 1 and shot 0%? Like, 7% is objectively better than 0, but it seems so much worse here. Well, yeah, like it's it's you're taking into account the shots that you didn't take because they weren't a great idea, I guess. But yeah, this is Gran Canaria showing up half asleep, getting the job done against probably the worst team in the league. Yeah, oh, yeah, clearly. Um, and well, are they? Yeah, you know they are. They're, I was going to say, are they? And it was like, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you've talked about what your schedule has been like for the last couple of weeks and what it's like going forward. You you must absolutely have your mouth watering at the prospect of playing Joventut in two weeks' time or two and a half weeks' time or whatever it is. It's going to be like a, climbing into a warm bath for you guys. 
It's just the fact that we went. Who did we have the week before Vigo? I forget. Uh, I can't remember who yet. You will have been at home against somebody, I imagine. Mercia, maybe? Potentially. Yeah, that was it. Home, Mercia, away, Vigo. Finally, big one at home. Another game on the Monday against Malaga. And then we go to Madiba this week in Extremadura, which is so far from Bilbao. And then we go to um, to East Germany for Champions Cup in Thuringen, which is also quite far from Bilbao. So, yeah. It'll be nice to nice to play them in a couple of weeks. But also whatever. Like that that sounds like I'm complaining because I am. But I mean okay. You rambled enough. I was about to jump in with and speaking of Germany. I was just about to do that. Um <laughs> and speaking of Germany, uh Ryan Riverino sixty seven, clone ninety ers forty. Cologne 40 years, 99. I, I, when you said cologne and then said ninety nine, I was like, Are we looking at the same stats? <laughs> Yeah. I don't think we ever refer to them as the 99ers. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I was in there. I gave that up after um, when we used to do like the Instagram polls and I used to pick the symbols for um, like all the German teams. I used to do the ice cream cones as 99 for Cologne and it was like exclusively understood by our native English speakers. <laughs> Everyone else was like, what does an ice cream have to do with the number 99? Yeah, you've had a couple, we had a couple of people ask and you'd be like, hey, it's this, and also don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Rhino's off, um, off the back of a big, big win uh, last week against Landil. Um, got the job done against a Cologne team that are kind of looking a little better uh, over the last couple of weeks. They're looking, I don't know, I think when I say looking a bit better, I think we just like Keikido playing. <laughs> well, then. They're looking a little better, or they were until the second half of this game where they scored a combined 15 points. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought this one was interesting just because of length about the um, the Wiesbaden win over Landil, which was as surprising as any game we've covered all year. And I do not mean this as a slight at all when I say I hope Ryan Riverinos is model for pursuing wins wasn't to count on 30 plus from Ugo Toprak the entire season from this point on um, but I thought it was really a positive sign for Rhinos that they had all 10 of their guys get on the scoreboard in varying capacities yeah. uh, just because I think them maybe more so than any other team maybe have like the biggest discrepancy between what their best five that they can get out on the floor is as opposed to who their five best players are and how they can fit them around each other. Um, I don't think they've got one lineup that all the pieces fit into place perfectly, but that matters a lot less when you can toggle through different lineups and get consistent production from each of them. Yeah. And it's, it's been cool to see them since they've got everybody there. Finally, it's been cool to see them be like, all right, cool. You in sweet. Right. And now they're just already sort of playing nice and open and fluid and pinging the ball around. And there's some lovely, like, like, I don't know how many passes run together, skip, skip, inside, back out, spot up, score. Like, they had some lovely offense. And it's yeah. just cool to see a team that's like, hey, nice to meet you. This is my name. Welcome aboard. Cool. All right. Yeah. Firing the ball. I think it's, it's obviously part of it. You can go... Two four fives, two threes, and a good one, 
Um, yeah. And like, that's four guys that like to pass. Well, five guys that like to pass um, and five people that can score on the floor at once. And they kind of kept it going even when they had everyone else in, but especially their starters, there was a little bit of like, you're going to hate this, but like the old Grand Canaria, like <laughs> you're going to hate this. <laughs> yeah. You're going to hit like, the, the, like just load of ball movement way over points, um, hitting spot ups, <laughs> like load of ball movement, way over points, spot ups from just outside the key. Um, you stitched that one together very well. Um, I mean, I was, to be honest, we like, we talk about this and like the kind of fluidity of things. And you say, it's like them just getting to know each other and seemingly having instant chemistry. I think I was maybe most impressed by the entire, in the entire game by, Kamel Khan, who's not really played much in their first two games, got put in towards the end of this one after having been on the bench for a long time. And he just instantly was like, right, I'll spot up on the weak side. And he drained his first shot. And it's like, oh man. I mean, we were we were their front row for when he nearly won the um EuroLeague one finals by himself, if you remember that one. So I yes. it's no secret that he can shoot, but I think it's funny him having sat quiet for two and three quarter games and was like, I'll just make my first shot and then we'll be firing. It's all good. Yeah. yeah. It's I also thought... just like, hey, more good players is good. He's <laughs> like so reductive. You're like, oh, would you like about the team that had a load of good players and then also got a couple more in? Although, yeah. but assimilating them is difficult and takes work. Um, uh, yeah, although they've now had two very convincing wins playing two relatively different styles. I don't know if styles is the right word, but it was very Toprak centric in the game last week. And then it was very egalitarian this week. So maybe it's just like a bunch of, I mean, we obviously talked to Lucas about how the reads are slightly different amongst like the players who've grown up playing differently, but it strikes me as there's just enough IQ on that team to make it work. Yeah, and obviously yeah. Moji, Moji Kamali's role as the universal interpreter is probably pretty essential to this one. Yeah, it's great. Um, you say like just enough. Like I think that's a pretty smart team, top to bottom. Yeah, I didn't mean just it. I, I meant yeah. maybe there is just enough IQ. Ah, uh, yes, that's the one. The one thing that is not maybe there is like exactly a hundred percent of the required amount. Um, yeah. But yeah, on the Cologne side. Keikito with 10, Thomas Ryo with 10, and then single digits in a bunch of places. And Cologne actually hung relatively tough for the first half, and they just couldn't match the second half as Ryan just kept moving the ball and making shots from outside. Cologne just had no answer for that, really. They're, they're kind of okay if they can get inside consistently, but it's not happening here, especially without Mustafa Kortmaz, who's probably their main outside threat. No, exactly. In um, all in all the Keokita minutes we've clamoured for, he plays 40 minutes in this game, and Asel Shabo now plays nine minutes off the bench. It's like, guys, just play your best players together. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Either way, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we'll shift on, because the, there's a dead horse to be beaten on that one, I think. Exactly. Shall, we, shall we do uh, Munsterland and Trier next? All right. Take us away. Yeah. So... Story of this one is Matthias Bellas with 24. And as he does pretty consistently, he was just kind of an unanswerable factor against smaller teams. And yeah, he had 24 points on 18 shots. Um, Munsterland got in front 20, 
2.14 after the first quarter, which is when Matthias did most of his damage. And he targeted Annabelle Breuer, who's Trier's female 1-5. He targeted her on the first handful of possessions and got kind of layups and short post-ups. And I got the sense from that point onwards that this might be a tough matchup for Trier, not aided by the fact that Dirk Passavan had only 15 points on 23 shots, which I think Mosland had done this twice, man, where they've they've coerced him into a couple of his worst performances by of the season by a noticeable amount. Yeah. And I'm not sure what the secret is, despite having watched it a couple of times. Yeah, that's that's like probably half of his lowest uh all <laughs> season. Um yeah, I don't know what it is. That's what I wanted to I wanted to try and figure out. Like, well, my question is someone who can score that well. Are there actually schemes that can take people out of that, or is it just like you're you're going to go up and down? I don't think you go down enough that you score fifteen when you've scored forty five a couple of times this season. But well, my, my, I think having a lot of size makes a difference because you can kind of jump him, have size on him at all times, and then send him into less yeah. comfortable stuff. Also, like. Actually, that Passman was just focusing on rebounding this game because he had 17 rebounds. Maybe um, maybe he was like, eh, you know, I've got a lot of points already. Maybe I can just rack the rebounds up in this one. But that, I don't know if that's what it is. Um, probably not. Um, I don't know. I just think... I just... <laughs> stupid point, 101. I was going to say 101. That would imply I haven't made any other ones so far. But like, <laughs> being massive you can kind of put a lot of pressure on him on the perimeter and not be that worried about what's going on behind you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, I don't think he had it. I don't just don't think he had anything easy all game. And in any given game, it's the stuff that I talk about and I kind of joke about, but he's like, oh, I can see the basket goats going up. And maybe just like when you're in amongst the trees, that happens less yeah. and less. Like you're talking fine margins for him to not see shots he likes, but... Yeah, maybe uh, that makes a difference. I genuinely wonder as well because he fouled out with just under three minutes left, and I think it was a a ten point game at that stage. Um, I wonder even with him having had a tough game and not scoring at his usual rate, when you're Munsterland and you're up ten and you see Dirk Passavan foul out with three ish minutes left, do you breathe a sigh of relief and be like, man, he actually could have dragged them back into it if he'd have stayed in the game another three minutes? Oh, 100%. Like, there's very small chances, but, like, it's zero against a lot of teams, and it's just, like, slightly above 0% likely when it's him. But... Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. Um So we're yeah. doing the thing where Trier lose, and we're talking about uh, Passawan more than we're talking about the fact that Matthias had 24 and the Lammerings were great again. Um, yeah. 15 and 10 and Thorn Miller, the best player in the universe, had 21. Um, yeah, so. I did I did think on the Zoran Miller point, I did think early doors trio looked like they were just going to see if Munsterland could win it from outside. And yeah. Zoran Muller hit a three on, I think, the second possession of the game and then one of the yeah. Lammering brothers who I, despite the fact I have their names and numbers next to me while I'm watching the game most of the time, I can't tell which one is which at any given point. Um, one of them hit an outside baseline shot a couple of possessions later. And yeah, when Trier's whole plan is to pack in and stop Matthias from getting inside and you 
the other team makes their first two perimeter shots. It's only like five points in that case, but it carries a lot of mental weight. And yeah, as soon as those two went, Matthias got inside like two or three possessions consecutively, and it just shows the kind of trickle down effect of these things. Yeah, and that's the thing of like, you you go into again like that, and you go right. Now we're gonna absolutely just batten down the hatches here, not jump anything. They make just enough that you're like, all ah, right, <laughs> off we go. I guess we're gonna have to do that. Yeah, it's um the worst one. I- ever heard was this is years and years and years ago um, but I heard somebody's game plan playing against a very old version of a Malaga team was to not jump Jesus Romero at all when he was doing a lot of the ball handling and he made a layup on the opening possession of the game and then the coach yelled at them to jump him at all times <laughs> from the like for the rest of the game onwards it's like that seems like a tad an overreaction, but it legitimately does happen. Um, yeah. And yeah, it looked like it happened here, but yeah, I mean, Munsterland, if they're 24 from Matthias and 21 from Zoro Muller, those guys going for 45 is not unheard of between them, but you're then getting an extra 25 from the Lammering Bros, and if Munsterland are going to put up 79 as a typically slightly offensively challenged team, then I think they're in pretty good hands. Like 79 is is pretty high by their standards. And yeah, they gave up 67 to Trier, but I think they gave it up to the right guys. Yeah, 100%. Like, that's that's it. Like, if you can score at that rate, get to nearly 80 and keep uh, Dirk Pass 1 pretty quiet, you're going to you're probably on the road to success. Because I think that's the thing as well, where you got to think like, if you're putting a lot of defensive attention on pass one, what comes from that is normally rolls, and you're like, all right, cool, four giants, and Ilsarts is one of the biggest one fives going. Yeah, one of the biggest playing as a zeros going. Yeah. Uh, so if I if I'd have told you before this game that there was a forty five point score, would you have put it? That you had to choose between it being Bellas and Muller or Passavan on his own. Which would you have picked? Ah, oh, Bellas and Muller. It's okay. not on. It's not unlike them guys to get to twenty odd. Well, is okay. it? I feel like it isn't. No, no. That's you. The problem with Munsland is they normally get twenty-ish each from those guys, and then they're scraping for double figures from the rest of the team. But the Lammering brothers are seemingly getting better every game. So, yeah, yeah. the Germans are as well as as they are becoming. Right. Should we shift on? The Germans are as well as yes, all right. <laughs> that that was a great stall as you opened the next stat sheet. Yes. Um. So I've been, I've been there was something I was trying to find out and I just have not been able to find it out and then I've just ended up being like dragged to another thing. But yeah. So Skywheeler seventy one S in thirty six. Did you watch this? I caught ten minutes of this. And wow. That. I- commitment. I was going to say, I I was like, I'll give myself a few minutes of this and I caught the second quarter more or less and Skywheelers were up 18-7 to start the quarter and then the second quarter in and of itself was the closest of all of them. It was a 14-10 difference in there and I was like, eh, this is not like an impossible you know, level of difference but 
I checked back in periodically a couple of times and Skywheels were winning each of the other quarters pretty convincingly as well. So, yeah, these are the... I don't know if Skywheelers are bottom two in Germany or if they're above Hamburg. I don't have the standings in front of me at this point. I think they're um, above Hamburg. Yeah. But this was just what you would think would be a close-ish game between two of the lower standing teams. There was a pretty obvious gap in capabilities here and Skywheelers nearly doubled the score up despite getting only six points in 20 minutes from Nico Dreimuller who I think he relishes these games against the weaker teams. You would think he'd be like, finally, I don't get somebody chasing me literally all over the court, but he seems so content to just set the bigs up in the the games where he doesn't feel like he has to do it all himself. And it's just nice to see, because I feel like that guy must have a tough existence in the weeks where they go into the better teams in Germany. Yeah, that's that's so funny that you'd be like, there's two types of players in a week like that where they're like, nah, I'll take a day off or no, I'm going to get 40. <laughs> but yeah, I think I'm I'm going to take a day off. Also, I, I couldn't get 40 if I tried. So. <laughs> yeah, take a day off so you don't get found out as not being able to get 40. Yeah, uh, that's funny. Like when you talk about someone getting 70, like you talk about Damon Lillard getting 71. If you give me 48 minutes in an open sports hall, I don't know if I could get you 71 <laughs> combined points. Might get 71 rebounds. Um, Off my own shots. That was the joke. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sheet point to make off this one. Sven Diedrich off the bench with 16 points in 16 minutes on 8 from 8 shooting. So shout out to him. Um, nobody in double figures on Hot Rolling Bears. So I say we just keep it shifting off of this one because we got... A big one to talk about last game in Germany. Yes, we do. Um, I have the wrong tab open. That's hilarious. All right, <laughs> I, just cl- I just clicked the wrong stats. There was Tangier Bulls, 83, and of United, 70. So, I don't know. I don't know. I watched the start of this game, and I didn't know the score at the time, which was lovely. Um, and when I saw it was Bulls, 24, Hanover, 14 in the first quarter, I was like, ah, God. Is going to get away, but man, it didn't. Um, no, they... I, th- I thought before we get what later on in the game, I think 15 of Bulls' first sorry, 13 of Bulls' first 15 points were scored by Haluski and Vahid, mm-hmm. and that filled me with dread on Hanover's behalf because. If there's one thing that that team can't really afford to give up against the ring, and it's to let the two giant guys establish themselves early, and it kind of felt like Hanover were reeling them in from that point onwards, um, which they did successfully, almost to the point of bringing it all the way back. But you alluded to that a second ago, so I'll let you take it from here. No, that was it. I was going to say they were kind of, they sort of, it was sort of. Hanover down 10, back to tied. Hanover down 10, back to tied a couple of times. Um, Then they got end of the third quarter. It was, they were, were they up one? Yes. Um, uh, th- third quarter, they got up one and then they let Thuringen back in by the end of the quarter. And then, yeah, Thuringen had to win the fourth quarter by seven to ultimately make it the 13 point difference it was but yeah Hanover did lead very briefly um yeah they were up one and then it was just like Vahid and one 
Vahid fall on a three get fouled on a three pointer goes to the line yeah. and they brought it back. But it was interesting to see like I kind of thought when Thurgood went from up ten in the first at the end of the first quarter to the game kind of coming back and then they were like, All right, now we're gonna press. Like I kind of felt they went to and this I don't know. I was gonna say I felt like they went to rotating and running their bench a little early, but they're stacked. So it's not like their bench is like such a drop off, but I feel like they rotated quite a lot early and I was like, Oh man, are they gonna they're gonna throw this away by just <laughs> rotating constantly? But they just find something all the time. Like they went from um their usual starters to the sort of mids heavy lineup. And then when that kind of slipped away, it was cool to see them be able to go instead of just like right back to the starters. They were like, no, we're going to work this out with these guys. And then they went to pressing. I say these guys, it's still flipping Podniex and Jody Ruiz. And... Podniex is an honorary mid because he's actually two 1.5s glued together in stature. He's, he's stacked. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Podniex and Jody Ruiz and Albrecht and a big on the floor. And it's like, hey, this is obviously. Like you're obviously still fine. When I say you've got your 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 bench on, it's not like you're running like goobers. You don't drop off mm-hmm. massively, but yeah. So it was cool to see them go like, all right, no, this isn't working. But instead of going back to the starters, we're gonna press or this, that, and the other. And yeah, this was I don't know, this was I thought it was gonna get out of hand, and I'm very glad it didn't, is what I was gonna say, because Yeah, yeah. in the first quarter. Although it got out of hand a little bit in terms of it got really chippy and weird and there were teas and all sorts of yeah. ways happening, but I, I read that as I think Hanover on a couple of occasions have looked primed to take a game off one of the top two, mm-hmm. and they've been kind of close to it on a handful of occasions now and haven't quite got there. And I read the chippiness as them feeling that chance slipping away a little bit, um, which is obviously not what you want to see, but is understandable from a, a mentality standpoint. But I thought the rotational chess match was interesting. Um, really weird stat is that Haluski played the most minutes of anyone on the Bulls, but was only a plus one in the plus minus, whereas the kind of mids lineup that you mentioned, both Jens and Linden and Podniex for that matter, were plus 19 apiece. Um That's mad. Yeah, it was re- strange, but I, it's not... To your point, it's not that often that we talk about kind of the the top couple of teams like Illunion, uh, Landale, Albacete being able to just toggle and toggle their options till they find the right thing. But it's pretty rare that the ring can actually do that. I feel like they run their bench and then they're like, okay, we know for a fact our starters is our best lineup. But the Podniaks and Jody Ruiz lineup got it done for them in this game, just going one big around more mobile guys. Um, I thought it was was interesting that like Hanover can go like a I would my point was I was going to call it like a five big or four big lineup but it's like just a not it's like a not small lineup it's doesn't matter if you can go four big if none of them are big enough to stop Paluski or Bahid and then they can go like five mids which like they can go fairly mobile and fairly big but it doesn't matter how mobile you are if you're not mobile enough to get out of a press. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they kind of, they've got a lot of something, but it doesn't matter if it's not enough to deal with the problem in front of you rather than to 
avoid a different problem. I don't know if I've explained myself. Yeah, no, but they're more mobile. They can go five mobile guys and be mobile enough to like outrun other teams. But if your five mobile lineup comes up against a ridiculous Thuringen um, press and you go, all right, cool. We just don't have it here. It's... Yeah, it kind of, it reminds me of when the like NBA switch heavy defenses are like, right, we just switch on everything because we've got five mid-sized guys. You can handle like the central 80 to 90% of teams and opponents. And then as soon as you get anyone who's like either an out, liar speed wise or an outlier size wise it's like yeah you what you have is five guys who can't defend them <laughs> like it's sure. it's kind of built to cater against the masses not the specific matchups i think but um yeah for me, that's fair which will like get you most of the way there um, yeah exactly um for me where hanover struggled was they got in about a combined 20 minutes they got two total points between Mariska Bayer and Tom McHugh, uh-huh. uh, which was offset slightly by the fact that the young Gantz renaissance continues and he had 14. after He was like zero from five in his first five shots as well, so he was then like seven from nine for the rest of the game. Yeah. But Tom McHugh's kind of come out and been fearless in these matchups against the bigger teams, and he just, for whatever reason, didn't have it in this one. Um it only played eight and eight minutes and twenty seconds, and yeah, it just wasn't his game for whatever reason. Where we've not really seen him shrink away from it like he has, like he did in this one, um, and then Mariska as well. Obviously, used to having a little bit of size advantage out there in this mid mids lineup, but it doesn't happen as much when the mids you're rolling out against are Joachim Linden and Jens Albrecht, who are, you know big mobile guys, beasts. Yeah. Um, this was just this was essentially throwing and having the tr- the trump card in size was really the deciding factor here and it just seemed like they were always ready to rock with that as soon as the game got close again and it you know to their credit they've known this is their formula for a long time and they ran with it when it mattered and it took care of the game for them yes cool also, shout, shout out to Vahid 16 points on 7 from 8 shooting no spendy, but it's not bad going. Efficient. Um, yeah, it's no Manu, but <laughs> yeah. Right. right. Cool. We do the couple of Italian games and break tradition. If you want. All right. <laughs> um, I haven't actually watched the both of these in their entirety. I've, I've picked through because I didn't know we were going to do this today. That's fine. That's more, that's more acknowledgement than we normally give Italy. Yeah, that's fun. Although I, I basically I watched the Cantu against Sassari game because I was like, "What do you mean Cantu beat Sassari?" Yeah, this, this is it, man. I, I was like just keeping up on stats for the first three quarters, and Sassari were ahead forty-two thirty-five, which is hideous in and of itself for three quarters of basketball. And then Cantu won the fourth quarter twenty-four-seven, and that was literally the score twenty-four-seven. I don't mean they won it. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but yeah, they won it all um, the time. Yeah, yeah so that's um, what happened then. When I was like, What happened? Losing a quarter 24 to seven is what yeah. happened. And th- it was like the Filippo Carasino show for the last 10 minutes. Um, who we don't pay much attention to at least because we have like a finite amount of time to watch games in, but Cantu 
are really thin on the ground compared to previous years. Obviously, Pappy's now with you. Driss is at uh, Gran Canaria. Sophie's back in England and Ian's retired and seemingly off the face of the earth whenever we ask him if he wants to come on the podcast. But uh, Good lad. Just as he, yeah. should, as, as he <laughs> as is his right. As is his right. Um, <laughs> yeah, Carasino's kind of changed into more of a perimeter-based ball-handling threat and his ball handling, for whatever reason, makes is like very staccato and doesn't look overly natural. And makes I think it's because he's quite far off the floor. I think, um, but yeah, he knocked down shots for the entire fourth quarter, and this really struck me as, although they're down in bodies as to what they used to be, this struck me as kind of an institutional knowledge win for Cantu. Um, obviously, Carasino, uh, Francesco Santarelli, Simone Di Maggi, Jack Pudger, and Nazi, those guys have been around for a long time and playing together for a long time. And it just kind of struck me as them having the composure and having been in the big spots before, where Sassari's guys have been in the big moments before, but not really as a group up to this point. And that really felt like the difference in this game. Maybe I'm clutching at the abstract there, but that certainly appeared to be the case. When you say being there before, you mean looked like they'd been in the same room as each other all season? Because <laughs> as far as I'm aware, I think Mendel's the only guy on that team that flies in and out. But like, kind of every so often looks like I'm like, hey, do you guys? Uh, they they the Sassari guys live at the beach, man. Of course, they don't get out and train that much. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, this is. And I'm I'm not like that's that's not fair. I wanted to make it clear. I'm not questioning anyone's anyone's going to training or anything, but just it just looks a little disjointed, as if I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it I don't. Looks like I, disjointed at times. I don't know if you know what I mean. I don't think the roles are very clearly defined with Sassari. Um. They've got a lot of guys who want to shoot outside. They've got a couple of guys who want to handle the ball but aren't massive shooting threats. Yeah. And, yeah, so it gets a little bit clunky. And to be fair, Cantu don't... Cantu are certainly deficient in other areas, but they... Cantu are very defined in terms of these guys handle the ball and shoot and the whichever low pointer is out there and whichever of the younger mid-pointers is out there is kind of the other screener and dirty work guy by default and I think knowing your roles doesn't necessarily get you to a 24-7 win in a 10 minute stretch but combined with some hot shooting it'll get you some of the way there against a team that was seemingly scrambling for identity you know throughout the season and even up to this point but these two obviously play each other again because it's a, a two game series for the semi-finals right so yeah um Sassari are going to have to win the return leg by 11 or more to advance. And Cantu have somewhat improbably put themselves in a pretty good spot. Yes. Um, yeah, no, especially that being going and getting that win away, right? Like that makes a yeah. difference. Um, yeah. Cool. And the other game was Gilenova 48, Santa Stefano 63. Man, Santa Stefano play so hard all the time. <laughs> Well, it's incredible. I love it. They just fly about the place so much. The difference is that they normally fly about, and then as soon as anyone asks the question of them as to how are you going to score in the half court, they kind of shrug and they're like, we'll just fly about more and harder. And in this game, Domenico Michelli, who has had a relatively quiet 
couple of years since he's he went over there from Gillian over a handful of seasons ago. He then drops 25, and I don't think I've seen this offense a lot in the wheelchair game ever, but seemingly his game plan was to wait until Melanie Hortin of Gillianova was actively jumping him and pushing him, pushing out on his footplate <laughs> and then, then just shooting over her. And it was like, yeah, you could be running a pick and roll or something here, but apparently he was content to just, you know, when you have to do like those shooting drills with a bit of like light pressure so that you concentrate on your shot, that's kind of what this felt like. Yeah. Yeah, he just nailed them all game. And I, I can't remember the last time I saw him shoot this well. Um, yeah, but yeah, Sam kind of Steph- went, kind of got better as the game went on as well. Like he might have taken three shots in the first quarter, and then he ended yeah. up twelve from twenty. Yeah, like uh, I was launching. But Sam and Steph know they've always kind of lacked for the outside shooting, and you see a game like this where when they get one guy going, they become incredibly difficult to stop because as soon as you're you're over committing to defending that guy on the perimeter. They've got at least three bigs out there at any given point. And their um, low point, and I think she's Brazilian. I'm not going to yeah. try and read her name because I'm going to butcher that terribly, but I think she's awesome. And she's super underrated in the, in terms of the, we obviously spoke about it with Lucas Warburton where he says, you don't want your, you know, you're playing as a zero one point or your minus point five to just be a body in a chair. She is anything but that, and she's super active and she works really well with all their bigs. And yeah, the the shooting element was just there for Santa Stefano, and they've put themselves as plus fifteen points in the two game series against a Gillianova team that ooh, it was a little bit bleak in this one, man. It's not looking promising for the second stretch of this, as far as they're concerned. No, not a whole lot going on there. I think the rest of their season is win your league two, probably. I mean, Stupinen goes out for them, which I think affects their lineups a little bit. But yeah, they kind got... of one one lineup all the way now. Yeah. The one that they played in Euro Cup against yeah. um, big. But Amit Vigoda's out there for nearly twenty four minutes and is only getting six shot attempts. And it's like, man, there's a lot without Stupanengo there to handle the ball as well. There's a lot of shot creation responsibility on Vigoda and Shea Barbabe, who was two from nine as well. It's like they, those guys are going to have to be consistent sources of shot creation for the other guys if Julian overstand any chance. But yeah, they just couldn't, especially with Cavanini out there playing nearly 37 minutes, they just can't get up and down with Santa Stefano at the best of times. So when Santa Stefano are winning the half-court battle as well, it's a tough look for Julian over, man. Yeah. Yeah. A team that plays a load of half-court, four big stuff with a 40-something-year-old gets runned and gunned. Yeah. <laughs> runned. Awful. All right. We got our episode title anyway, Runned and Gunned. Ran and gunned. Um, <laughs> cool. Ran and gan. Ran gans. Um, <laughs> any belt contenders? Uh, I was going to go Manu for the belt, unless you want to go Dominico Michelli for his shooting performance. Or, or Carasino. Or anyone else. Yeah, whoever you want. Carasino frightens me a little bit because I think he'll repost it and write a small essay that we're going to have to then like try and acknowledge without being like, this is too much text to fit on the screen of an Instagram story. So Manu? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I feel like if you go 12 from 13 in what was a big game 
um, in the league. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's so, do that. And yeah, let's get out of here. Thanks for listening yeah. and catch you next week. You will on Tuesday this time. Hope so. <laughs> Bye.